And as you're finding that, uh, there is, I believe, a tendency for Christians to become excited about so-called new teachings when, when they are presented. Maybe people hear something that's new, that they've never heard about the Word of God, and it's very intriguing to their mind. You need to know, church, especially for newer believers, that the world uh, presents before you numerous false teachings of God's Word as something that is new. There are so-called Christian books, so-called Christian podcasts and sermons and conferences which are peddled with great marketing that it would be an allurement to you to go, oh, well, that's something new about the Word of God. I've never heard that one before. There are so-called prophets in this world that supposedly have a new word from God, yet God's word is complete and there's nothing to ever be added to it. And I point these things out because Titus is being warned by the Apostle Paul to the church to beware and to watch out in this world because there are so many misleading, distracting things that bring division into the local church. But here's the good news, church. As we just sing glory to God, as we just gave praise to our Lord and Savior Jesus, Jesus is the head of the church, and Jesus will protect his church, and Jesus will guard his people. He will never lose one of them, and he will continue to cause us to grow and walk in holiness. Therefore, the scriptural truth this morning from Titus chapter 3 is that God's grace will protect the church and lead believers to live a life of holiness. This morning we'll specifically look at verses 8 through 11, but I would like us to look at verses 1 through 11 as we had the last two Sundays. Titus 3, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. The Word of God. Again, Father, thank you for giving us your Word. And we ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of the Word. In Jesus' name. Amen. This week, I was remembering Grandma Katie, my grandmother, who is, uh, a few years ago passed away and is with the Lord. 
And as I would go to her house, or family would go to her house, or if you brought friends to grandma's house, uh, you realized that she was a very hospitable Christian woman. That as you came there, anyone came to her house, had to be fed. You had to sit down and eat something, or if you didn't eat something, have a cup of coffee, or in some way that she would serve you, and that was one way that she, in her good works, would do that, and when you would leave her house, you would know that you had been served, and hospitality was that good work, and this morning, as we look at this devotion to good works that the believer is to be devoted to, we must ask, what are those? Is it just a list of things like being hospitable to others, showing up and helping a person with this, encouraging, uh, giving an encouraging word, or is it also the fact that God has commissioned and called every believer to open their mouth and be a herald of the gospel of, the Jesus, of Jesus Christ? This morning, let us look at verse 8 here, and this first point, to devote yourself to good works. Now, when we see verse 8 here, he is pointing back to what he just uh, wrote in verses 4 through 7, where we paid attention to last week, specifically in verse 5, that God does not save anyone because of any good works that they do, but because of his great work, and specifically, verse 5, it says, of his great mercy. So if you're here with us this morning and you're a Christian, if you've been saved by the grace of God, I would remind you that you are not saved by anything you did, just as we sang, nothing that we can bring to the Lord. It's God's grace. It's His mercy. And therefore, I remind you of a text that we come to many a Sunday, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, in which the Apostle Paul wrote and told the church in Ephesus, for by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of what, church? Works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Church, do not forget that good works is the result of faith. It is the fruit of the holy living, and it does not save anyone. I believe I gave you this quote when we went through the book of James earlier this year, but Martin Luther said this, we are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. So as James, in our study earlier this year, we saw that if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you also have good works that the Holy Spirit does in you, enables you, and empowers you to do. If there is no fruit, if there is no good works in your life, then your faith is at question. Because faith in Christ, that saving work that God does, is always accompanied by good works. And as He sanctifies us, as He causes us to grow in holy living, those good works will be seen in the life of the believer. Verse 8. It says, this saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. Paul is pointing back directly, if you look at verses 4 through 7, regarding God's merciful work to save his people from their sins. And he says, Titus, you are to be emphatic about this. If you look at chapter 3, verse 1, he says, remind them of the following. 
And we went through those, those reminders. It continues here. Remind them and be emphatic about it that they are to insist on these scriptures and the mercy of God. And as we've seen many times as a believer, as we grow in our understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the result in your life is walking in holiness. It's holy living. Even as we still battle with sin, God is still making us more and more like Christ. And that comes from the Word of God. I cannot say it enough times, church. Read the Word of God, which He has given to you as a great and glorious gift. There is nothing more that He will add to it. There is nothing to take away from it. There again, be warned of those who say they're a prophet in this world and they have a new word from God. This is God's Word in its complete form. Therefore, to grow in holiness is for you to read it and the Holy Spirit to work upon your heart and cause you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of God. This theme throughout this letter in Titus from chapter 1 through chapter 3 we have seen is to protect doctrine, to protect the right doctrine, which we just read in verses 4 through 7. And he was told to do that, Paul said, by putting elders in place in the church to fulfill the qualifications and to protect that. And as the right doctrine of the church is protected, the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the people will practice that as they are growing in their knowledge of Jesus. But church, do not forget that we have work to do. Work that you cannot do on your own. Work that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that is a call and a great commission that's set before us to make disciples. Titus is to insist on this, Paul says. It means to speak confidently of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would call people to follow Christ through the declaration of the gospel and to call believers to holy living. Look back there at verse 8. This, is a trust, this saying is trustworthy. And I want to insist on these things so that those who, believe, who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to what, church? To good works. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is giving his Sermon on the Mount, as we title it, and in Matthew chapter 5, he says to his disciples in verses 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all those all in gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Church, you are to do good works, <clears throat> not for salvation, but by obedience to the word of God. And to do that only by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> you are to be a light in a dark, pagan, wicked world who you once lived like and have been set free by the grace and mercy of God. 
But let us be very clear when it says to devote yourself, to be very careful to devote yourself to good works, it says these things are excellent and profitable for people. You are to do good works, but know that as you serve others and you serve the body of Christ and do good works, that your good works also not only don't save you, they save no one else. People watching you do a good work does not, and all of a sudden them say, well, I'm just going to be following Jesus. There are people who believe that if they serve people in enough ways and visibly do these things, that people will then just declare their faith in Jesus Christ. That is not what Christ has taught. The great commission which he gave his disciples then and he gives to you now, that you are to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded us. And he says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. And so just as you, Christian, in this room came to faith, you came to faith because someone declared the gospel to you. Someone spoke the words of the gospel that you would hear and believe. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, the apostle Paul writes in verses 13 through 17 about this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? People don't just have some epiphany one day. They don't have some light that just goes off and go, oh, I'm just going to believe in Jesus because that person came and washed my laundry and mowed my lawn for me. They must be a Christian. I must believe. Church, the scriptures do not teach that whatsoever. Look at verse 15. And how how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Hear this. So faith comes from what? Hearing. And hearing through what? The word of Christ. Your good work, church, is to preach the gospel, to be a herald of the good news, not to just bring someone to church for the pastor to preach to them, but you as a Christian would declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you've been saved by the mercy of God because Jesus Christ was your sacrifice, your substitution at the cross meant for you, and he took your wrath, God's wrath meant for you, and he shed his blood so you would be forgiven. And he died, and he rose from death to life. And he's ascended to heaven, he's ruling and reigning, and he will return one day. Church, that is the good news that if you're a Christian, you have been saved by, and you are commanded to go and preach that. That is the greatest good work that you are to do, living a holy life, following Jesus. And as you preach the good news, You do serve. You do show hospitality. You do minister to other people. You do meet needs in that. But know that none of those things will save anyone. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ and the mercy of God can anyone find find salvation in Jesus Christ.
This is the devotion of good works that you and I are to be committed to. And as we devote ourselves to good works, to the gospel, and to serving others, we are also, in verse 9, to avoid foolishness. There is so much foolishness in this world that abounds in churches that distract from that great, glorious, good work of declaring the gospel. There are so many things that are being peddled in the churches in this world that are presented to you in so many different ways that are just foolishness, not only today, but all the way back to when Paul wrote this letter to Titus. Go back to chapter 3 and verse 9. He says this, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissension, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and what? Worthless. Now we know from this letter, all the way back in chapter 1, that Paul's already addressed Titus and warned about the false teachers in Crete. He says there's a lot of them. Chapter 1, verse 10 For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Again, Titus is on the island of Crete, and he's been instructed by the Apostle Paul, who has discipled him, that in every one of the cities, you are to place men as elders so that the doctrine, the truths of the gospel of Christ will be protected and been practiced by the church. And oh yeah, while you are doing that, beware, because there are many false teachers that are abounding. Specifically, we've already looked at this, and it's repeated here again, that we see that there were some Judaizers, there's these Jewish legalists that were teaching and promoting false truths of God. Specifically, it would be presented, they would say, you need Jesus Christ plus some works so you would have salvation. Your homework is to read Galatians this week, in which the Apostle Paul is addressing this argument of legalism that is brought into the church, in which again... Jesus Christ plus anything means nothing. Jesus Christ alone is the one who saves. And therefore, again, let us remove from any of our thoughts that any good thing that we would do would bring us in a right standing with God and save us. It's only by the grace of God. But he warns of their teaching, that their teaching would attack this doctrine of salvation, which we saw in verses 4 through 7 of chapter 3. They would be teaching that you must live by certain ways and certain rules and certain laws so that you would be saved. Oh yeah, and Jesus Christ. But clearly, Paul laid out and reminded, he says, tell the believers, chapter 3, verse 5, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We give praise to the Lord that he's had mercy on his people, that he has forgiven us of our great debt through the blood of Jesus Christ. But in avoiding this foolishness, we also see that in the churches of Crete, He says, there's people 
that say they're Christians in the church, but they're not. Titus chapter 1, verse 16. They profess to know God, but deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. The church, Christ's church, has people who attend and join in in the gathering of the church who may say that they're believers, but yet their life proves that they are not. Again, a person who is saved will have the fruit of righteousness, good works seen in their life, and it will be evident. Not a perfectness, a perfect holy living, not until the day that we are with the Lord will we see that perfect, sinless state. But while we are here, Christ is working in us to make us holy. He says, avoid this word shun, but avoid foolish controversies. The word literally means to, in a sense, turn your back to it. Avoiding something. And so again, I, I ask this to you, church. What do you listen to during the week? What do you read during the week? What do you attend? What conferences do you go to? What do you pay attention to you to that does not line up with the word of God? If it does not fall in line with the Word of God, do not listen to that show. Do not watch that person on TV. Don't read that book. Stop attending their conferences and please stop sending them money because all you're doing is funding heresies, false teachers, those who would desire to bring division into Christ's church. And so he says... In verse 9, avoid foolish controversies. Sometimes these things, these controversies can become quite contentious from the color of what the carpet should be in the church. And I'm thankful we don't have carpet in here. It should be red. No, it should be blue. To whether we should have clear windows or stained glass windows. One time saw a church that debated over whether they should put dividers as for the bathroom stalls as they were building a new building. Big old fight. Ridiculous things, church. Controversy. People just bring up out of selfishness or just for the sake of just arguing whatever. It says avoid those stupid things. There's also another level. Foolish things where people think, well, we just need more philosophy. We need more, more psychology in the church. Foolishness. Things that do not line up with the word of God. Paul wrote to Timothy, one of the other disciples of his, and he said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23, have nothing to do with, with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And so you've got some very 
immature type of things, and you've got other foolish level, but then there's also greater issues which become arguments in church and why you see different denominations and different churches. I mean, things from communion, the Lord's Supper, how often should we take it? Should we have grape juice or wine? Should we have gluten-free bread or not? Should we have a loaf of bread or a non-leavened bread? All these things. And, and churches have set out what they believe they're going to. Other issues of the second coming of Christ, of baptism, issues of even church government. There are other Christians who are godly and they are living lives of holiness like you and I and those people in those churches have made decisions on those issues. And what happens is that many churches then get into these arguments from the carpet color to this book to this thing here and they begin to cause division in the church and divide and people begin to argue and fight and that is not a picture of Christ's church. You read 1 John, picture of the unity of the church. Read Acts, and you read the picture of the body of Christ and the unity that comes from the Spirit of God living in God's people. He says here to Titus, avoid foolish controversies. He says avoid genealogies in the sense of that Jews that were trying to make crafty interpretations of genealogies. Again, Paul warned Timothy, uh, Timothy as well. 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 through 4. He says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. He says to avoid dissensions is the third one there, which is all kinds of specifically self-centered rivalry and strife, arguing over Things that are not even the truth of God. Again, Galatians would be a great book for you to read in which the Jews were trying to bring in these legalistic arguments that you must add something to Jesus Christ to be saved. Avoid, he says. Shun them. Avoid them. And he says, avoid quarrels about the law. Again, this picture of, avo of avoiding this, this quarrel or argument of law versus grace. Again, he says, they are unprofitable and worthless. Another pastor that I will listen to frequently, his name's Alistair Begg, he says this a lot. He says, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. And every time he points that out, when I've heard him, he's speaking about the main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yes, we have so much instruction for how the church is to act, to function, to live, how you are to live, to see God's plan from beginning to ending and what he has promised his people, what he has fulfilled, what he will fulfill. But church, we must cling to those main things, those pillars of truth in God's word, and avoid foolish controversies, avoid genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. Go back to Titus there. <clears throat> the last two verses we look at today, verses 10 through 11, he doesn't end with avoiding it. He says, reject divisive people in verses 10 through 11. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you just love confrontation? Most people run from confrontation. 
Most of you don't want to have any confrontation with anyone whatsoever, so you despise and hate it. But there are some who love confrontation. To confront for just the sake of confronting. To confront over things which are not correct, as there's a warning here that is given. A command here that Paul tells Titus, it says in verse 10, As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. The word divisive person, or as I was studying this week in the New American Standard Version, it says, reject a factious man. That word divisive, that word factious is where we get the word heretic. That as Paul warned the church in Ephesus, he says, after I leave, wolves will arise from within the church. Heretics, heresies. I mean, we can warn and say, church, don't read that author, don't listen to that person, don't go to that conference, those people are false teachers. But throughout the letters that Paul writes to the churches, he warns about Divisive people here that rise up within the church, and again, it's the word that we get heretic from, in which they have different interpretations that is not God's truth, and with it, they then try to divide believers. And some of you say, does that really happen today? Yes, it happens today. It happens in churches all around the world. There are people who rise up within the church and they try to divide. And Paul says to Titus, confront them. Do something about it. The shepherds of the church, the elders, the pastors are to do that. The believers in the church, you are to open your word and confront them. When a divisive person Shows up, you warn them once, you warn them twice for the purpose and the goal of correction. But after the second time, if they continue, it says you're to have nothing to do with them. No more fellowship. I know I keep giving you more homework, but read Matthew 18 this week. Read Christ's words about confronting sin in the church which many title church discipline, Matthew chapter 18 specifically, verses 15 through 17. It's up there on the screen if you want to write it down. Jesus says this in that passage. He says, if your brother, your sister sins against you, go to that person by yourself and call them to account and say, brother, sister, the scripture says this, this is happening in your life. Here's how you sinned against me. Here's how you're in sin. And you call them back to Christ And Jesus says that if they reject you, then go get two other believers. At that point, maybe it is an elder in the church, a pastor in the church. And you go to them in a group of three. You say, brother, sister, you're in sin. Here's what the scripture says. This is what is evident in your life. Turn back to Christ. Repent of your sin. Jesus says, if they reject you, you're to tell the church. And most churches go sideways and wrong here. They just kick people out of the church before telling the membership of the church and saying, church membership, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so is in sin. 
Would you pray for them and go to them and call them to account? And if they don't, Jesus says to treat them like a Gentile, someone who's not saved. And in some cases, like the divisive person here that Paul tells Titus, you're to cast them out because all they will continue to do is divide. But Jesus also in that, again, if you've won your brother or sister back to the Lord, then praise God. And Galatians chapter 6 reminds us to do that in a right manner. Again, I've read a couple passages from Titus here, or Timothy here this morning. One more from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Paul also named people who were divisive. This isn't the only place. He actually told the church, watch out for this person, watch out for that person. I've actually had people from this church and in the last church, when I have named false teachers to watch out for, people say, Pastor, that was a little harsh. It's a little harsh to tell you to watch out. Don't read that book. Don't listen to that person. God tells the leadership to do that. He says this in 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And so when there are false teachers who are called out by name, know that it's done for your protection from the wolves that are out there that want to tear you apart and bring division and false teachings into the church. Paul tells Titus here in verse 10, after the second time, if this person is continuing to be divisive, it says have nothing to do with him. Same thing Paul instructed the church in Rome to do. Chapter 16, verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive their heart, the hearts of the naive. This happens in churches all over. People come in, and they use big words and smooth words and all kinds of things to get people to believe certain things that are not the truth of God, and then it begins to divide the body of Christ have nothing to do with them. Some would say, oh, why would, why would the Apostle Paul say such a thing? Well, look at verse 11. Here's his answer. Here's what we end with. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. A divisive, factious person who refuses to repent after being confronted shows that they are warped, they are sinful, they're self-condemned. And the reason why it is important, church, to point these people out, and if needed, cast them out, is because divisiveness and the sin of divisiveness is like a cancer within the church. And just like Joshua chapter 7, when the nation went up 
and they won their first battle, there was a man among the nation named Achan. And he disobeyed what the Lord commanded them to do. And he stole from the plunder and he hid it. And as the nation of Israel went up in the next battle, a number of men died and they fleed from there after God had already told them that they would go in and conquer the land. And God told Joshua, get up off the ground. Quit saying, woe is me and blaming me. There's sin in the camp. And they brought out Achan and his family. And he admitted they found this stuff that he had stolen. And this sin had so affected the camp that people died. And so what did they do? They took Achan and his family outside of the camp. And they stoned them to death. And they threw a pile and heap of stones upon them. And people would say, whoa, that's a little harsh. The divisive, sinful, heretic in the church that is allowed to remain will bring sin that affects all of the body and the unity of Christ among the people of Christ is deterred. But because we are believers in Christ, And we believe in his mercy and forgiveness for our sins. We are to be like Christ to others. And as we confront in a loving way with scripture as our backing, we are to pray for that person, to love them. And if they turn from their sin and their divisiveness and they're corrected, Then Galatians 6, 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Therefore, as we think about the gentleness and the meekness of Christ, you are called to restore. Just as we are also, as Titus was told by Paul, to stand strongly on the word and confront when, need, when needed. <clears throat> I was thinking of Peter this week. On Sunday nights, we've been going through First and Second Peter, and tonight we'll be in Second Peter again. And as I was thinking about Peter, um, one who followed Jesus closely of the 12, Peter betrayed Christ, He denied him three times, but before that ever happened, Christ told him it would happen. He says in Luke chapter 22, he says to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, speaking to his repentance and his turn, strengthen your brothers. On the day that Christ rose from death to life, in Mark chapter 16, it tells us as the women went to the tomb and they saw the angels, one of the angels said this, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you, speaking of the resurrection of Christ, but also Peter, who had denied knowing Jesus three times that night. And on the third time, Christ is being led through this area, turns and looks at Peter. And Peter says, I don't know the man. And they look at each other. The rooster crows. And Peter goes out weeping. 
But yet there was a restoration. Because John chapter 21, Peter and the disciples are fishing. They've been out all night long, haven't caught one thing. Jesus comes along the shore and they don't recognize him. They said, hey, guys, you catch anything tonight? And they said, no, nothing. Hey, cast the net on the other side. And they do that. And the fish, fish just swarm in there and they're filled. And, they're, and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. This is like what happened when Jesus called us. And Peter says, it is the Lord. And he just jumps into the sea and goes to shore. And they have breakfast with Jesus. And in that time in chapter 21, at the end of Jesus telling Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. He says this to Peter, follow me. And there's this restored relationship where Peter went sideways and he was brought back to follow Christ. That is the spirit of restoration that the church is to have anytime that we confront sin in the church. Anytime that we have divisiveness, we do not compromise the gospel. We do not back down from the word of God. And therefore, sometimes the church must take a stand and cast out the divisive person, just as Paul was told. But would you pray with me as the worship team comes forward that today and for the rest of our days as followers of Christ that we would live holy lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would cling to the saving grace of Christ, that we would avoid foolishness and that we would reject divisive people and that we would do the good work by the power of the Holy Spirit to open our mouth and be heralds of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let that be our prayer this morning. Father, we ask that in this time that you would take your word, that you would work it upon our hearts, that the understanding would come, and that we would live accordingly. Father, for the Believers in this room, we, we know that we've been forgiven at the cross. We confess to you our sins today, knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, if there's any prideful selfishness in us in which we are stirring up any dissension in the church, would you help us to repent of those things, to drop the foolish things and to cling to your truth. Father, would you empower your people with great boldness to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would do that work to call people to faith in you. And Father, we ask that you would mark your church as a church that is doing that good work and good works and that you receive all the glory and that you receive all the praise. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.